and welcome to our holiday edition of The Extras. Lachlan here, joined by Raj. Hello everyone, thanks for tuning in. Raj, you've spent the last couple of weeks, as we've had some school holiday time, reflecting on the book of Jude, and I guess launching from Jude into some reflections on your recent time over at GAFCON as well, and the state of the Anglican Communion across the globe. Yep. Uh, It's been a helpful time. Do you want to give us a quick summary of what's struck you from Jude, from GAFCON? Where have we been? Yeah, look, I, I think the priority really was to take the opportunity to teach Jude. And in Jude, what we see is um, the concern of Jude, who describes himself as a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. He probably was the half-brother of Jesus. Interestingly, he doesn't appeal to that. Um, but the fact that he's a servant and the way he wants to serve people is by warning them in no uncertain terms about the false teaching that has infiltrated uh, the ranks of the church. Mm. Um, it seems clear enough the false teaching is tied up with immorality. Um, I think, and it might be controversial, but the mention of Sodom and Gomorrah probably steers me toward thinking it's same-sex immorality of some mm. kind. Um, and what has happened here is false teachers have infiltrated the church, not just teaching but modelling uh, what's going on. And it's just so concerned. And so there's a sort of backdrop, if you like. Um, And in the foreground is the imperative contend for the faith, which is in verse 3 of Jude. Um, And then toward the end, uh, verses 20 thereabouts, it dispels out what that means in an active sense for us as individuals, both individually but also corporately, but then also those magnificent verses at the end of Jude, which turn out attention to trust and depend on the God who is more powerful than we can imagine to give mm. us. Mm. So, you know, there's the problem, um, um, false teaching in the background, and that moves toward how it is we can stay firmly in Christ. Yeah, it's a punchy little book hiding there at the back of your Bible. Uh, I know for some people on Sundays this had been their first interaction with Jude. It kind of hides away there. But uh, all Scripture is God-breathed, and it's good that we can be exposed to all of it and learn from all of it. Look, I might kick us off by reading, I guess, that key imperative that you picked up on. Let me read Jude verse 3 and 4. It says, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Now, first question comes straight off the back of that last phrase there. What does it mean to deny Jesus Christ? That's a great question. Um, And I think in the context here, what, sorry, that could mean a lot of things. So certainly it could mean with one's mouth denying that Jesus Christ died for our sins, it could mean denying Jesus rose from the dead. It could mean denying um, that Jesus is God, the second person of the Trinity. Mm. It could mean lots of things. Mm. But I think here there's something more particular in mind um, because just because of the way it's put there in verse 4, uh, that is, the false teachers pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. Um, so the way I think of it is, it's almost like if you add the word therefore uh, before the word deny, there's a link between the the license mm. for immorality, that is the lifestyle they're living, um, is a denial of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, and I think that's very powerful to, to just ponder. You know, the, James 2 is very strong in talking about the quality mm. of Christian life mm. tied together faith and deeds. Um, uh, Jude here, I think, is connecting with the, the lifestyle of the false teachers and saying that is tantamount to denying Jesus, mm. who came to save us from sin, mm. not to see sin perpetuating our lives. Yeah. yeah, nice. Now, in talking about Jude and the errors that the false teachers were falling into here, you introduced us uh, to what I guess I know as the Wesleyan quadrilateral. I don't know if you've got a different term for it, but... The four boxes of where we might put our ultimate authority. We've got reason on the one hand, we've got tradition on another hand, we've got experience on another hand, and then the Bible or scripture yep. as one option. Uh, do you want to 
Maybe it's just worth fleshing out what that quadrilateral is. Remind yeah, us yeah. So what's going on there. The Wesleyan quadrilateral, I, my term is the theological quadrilateral, um, which I've got from other people. And there's different terms floating around. It's been around for a few decades. Mm. I think lots of people have said over the years they found it a very helpful framework. Mm. Each, I was interested in each congregation. I asked just for a show of hands who's seen some version of it. Um, um, and And... I just thought here is a really helpful tool for us just to get our head around. Mm. What it's trying to get at is trying to help us understand. When I put it up, I had the question over what is our ultimate authority? I think the starting point is just to realise those four things. So in no particular order, reason, tradition, experience, Bible. Just worth saying, we all must use all of those things mm. in our understanding of the Bible or anything else. Mm. Um there's, there's no question of that, and that is a necessity. There's a couple of questions mm, that are coming mm, around that. Mm. It's absolutely a necessity. We can't help but read the Bible through the lens of um, um, all of those influences that we've had, powerful experiences we've had, how we've been brought up in different church traditions, as may be the case. All of those things have a part to play. But the reason this is particularly helpful as a framework is to ask yourself a question, what is the ultimate one? And the best way to understand that is when two things come into conflict, which one do you lean on? Yeah. Where do you go? What is your gut? Yeah. And, and obviously, the right answer is the Bible. That's God's authoritative word. Um, but, but we shouldn't assume that's how we think. Mm. Mm. We're so deeply influenced. So have you ever talked to someone that says, I had this really powerful experience? Mm that has opened my eyes to the Bible. Mm. Um, now, that may well be the case, because God is sovereign and works over all things. But it's interesting then to ponder with that you know, fictitious person what comes next, because does it mean that they now have a lens through which they read the Bible or reinterpret the Bible? Um, there is just little sign that our experience trumps. Mm. Um, or sometimes, and perhaps more subtly, we go beyond what the Bible says because of our experience. Uh, now, I pick up on that. I think, you know, a couple of decades ago, that's, and still in many circles, that's experiences are so powerful. Postmodern world legitimizes experiences and becomes, you know, for our beings, the way we, in which we understand the world, the way in which we understand the Bible, and so mm. on. Mm. But in the context of what's happening, false teaching around the world, and in particular in the Anglican communion at the moment, um, it, it, it is reason. Reason that that means, uh, often reason that's borrowed from the world mm. uh, and what the arguments used by the world, and in, you know, in particular, we all know it at the moment, so let me name it on this podcast, uh, the issues around LGBTQI. Um, it sounds so reasonable, the sermon at Megan and Harry's wedding, Love is Love, mm. um, that was given by a senior Anglican figure. Uh, and really what that framework does, it legitimises whatever you want it to legitimise, mm. all in the name of love. Mm. That is an argument that sounds very reasonable. Mm. And yet it's an argument that's in the world because we compare that to the Bible. Mm. And the Bible says, absolutely, you know, what is love? Well, God is love. He, he um, loved us and he sent his son, 1 John chapter 4, as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Mm. So those two things, when you think about it, they're, they're not quite saying the same thing. So the question, theological quadrilateral, Wesleyan quadrilateral, um, which one do you come back to to understand? So there's the framework. When two things come into yeah. conflict, which one do you fall back to? And the fact that we're... All individuals who are deeply corrupted and stained by sin means that there is a constant temptation to read the Bible through the lens of one of the other mm. quadrants. Mm. Um, so I've, I've just found it's an incredibly helpful framework over the years to force myself to reflect on where, where am I coming from and why. Yeah, it's helpful. I think in that you've answered a couple of the questions that we had, so let me try to sum those up and you can correct me if I've misheard you. So someone's asked, what does it actually look like for reason to be your ultimate authority? I mean, I always think of the classic example of this, a slightly different one to the one you've given there, but the start of liberalism, 
let's say it's the start, not quite precise there, but uh, the denial of the physical bodily resurrection of Christ. Because we know logically, reasonably with science that people don't rise from the dead. And so that reason and logic trumps the biblical teaching and we have to find some new meaning yep. spiritualizing what the scripture says. So there's one place where reason trumps uh, the biblical authority. But that doesn't undermine our use of reason in coming to the Bible. You know, we do go through processes of understanding to take the words of the scriptures and understand them and apply them. So like you said at the start, we still need this other thing called reason. But where there's a conflict, we go with what scripture says. Perfect. Let's move to the next question then. Uh, there's all sorts of issues that we could fight over amongst uh, those who claim to be Christians, those who are Christians. How do we figure out where there's an issue that's worth contending in the faith for? Uh, and one where it's it's okay, we disagree, but we can sit under leadership. How do we figure out those lines? That's a great question. And I think if I just borrow from Jude here, I the reason Jude is so strong is because the the because of the impact the false teachers are having. And towards the latter part of Jude, we see people are very much in the fire and they need rescue. Mm. In other words, their faith is under threat. So I think that that's kind of the line that Jude talks about. That's why he's written. That's why he's so strong. So there's a question you could ask. Is someone's faith under threat? That helps you distinguish them between what are sometimes called first-order issues mm. and what can be considered to be second-order mm. issues or mm. second-degree issues. Mm. I think it's really helpful to have that distinction, actually, because um, church life these days in the postmodern world, so I think of it like this, postmodernism, and some would say we're now in a post-postmodern world, which is probably true, mm. um, but, but it's moved on from modernism that was very much governed by logic, and there was a right and there was a wrong. Mm. Now... Um, as as different people say, we've moved on from a right-wrong framework into a pleasure-pain framework. Mm. That is, we pursue things to bring us pleasure or avoid pain. What that means is there are a whole range of issues in life and also in church life uh, that we can be tempted to gravitate toward and to hold up as... Well, we can be tempted to think they're first-order issues, but usually they're not. Mm. So I think there's one, you know, it's a great question here. There's a whole bunch of issues there where it's okay to sit under the leadership you are. It's a personal preference often. We can often theologise personal preferences. So we need to be careful of that. But I think there are first-order issues. And the issue that has been floating around the Anglican Communion now for a, that's really come to the surface in the last 20 years, uh, it, it, it is one that is taking the Bible quadrant and it's saying we read the Bible through the lens of something else, mm. like reason. Mm. Mm. Um, now that is, I mean, you use the great example of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead or the denial of the resurrection. Mm. Um, that was started to come out in the 1990s, and 10 years later, 15 years later, it's just normal. And the same argument that lulls the authority of the Bible then is applied to a whole bunch of mm. other things. Mm. Um, now, it might be the other things in themselves, might not matter too much, but there is um, sometimes called a hermeneutic, a way of understanding the Bible that is being smuggled in. Um, so I look places like Jude and think, you know, where where is that happening today? Um, I, I did very much use Jude as an opportunity both to teach Jude but also talk about and open up people's eyes. Mm. I mm. heard a comment from a parent the other day. Their 15-year-old was at church on Sunday night and uh, they have never heard this stuff's been happening and never heard some of the consequences. Mm. I think we need to open up our eyes to what's going on. Yeah, yeah. yeah for sure. Uh, so false teachers around, um, what's the correct response to them? Should we be calling out false teachers by name? What else is the right response? Yeah, thank you. We were talking about this just before we came on air, Lachlan, and, and interestingly, you know, you look in the Bible and Jesus, he certainly did call out particularly Pharisees, Sadducees, sects of Judaism that were leading people astray, leading people away mm. from him. Mm. Um, throughout the Apostle Paul and the rest of the New Testament, you certainly see there is a concern like Jude. Mm. But interestingly in Jude, 
the particular Paul's teachers not named. Mm. And Paul does in places, I think we're looking at 2 Timothy chapter yeah. 3 before, there, there, there are a couple of people who were called out. And yet it's not the pattern to, to point the finger and, you know, say, Lachlan Bryce, you're teaching heresy. Um, if that's the case, that would be helpful <laughs> to know. I mean, I'd... no. Um, so, but the focus very much is on calling out the nature of the false teaching, yeah. which may not be in calling out the false teacher. Mm. And yet, I still think I would say um, Jude is so strong. You know, it, 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 you, you see in Jude, he's prepared. He, he's prepared to um, resort to whatever he needs to, so that people see the warning. Mm. Um, now, it's also would also be a bit pointless for him to, you know, name the particular false teachers in the first century um, because in the 20th century they're different. So, yeah, so yeah, I, yeah. I think I think there's certainly in the Bible we do see particular false teachers are named mm. and yet at the same time the, the priority is to talk about the nature of the false teaching um, but there is such a concern for that people don't veer from Christ, don't deny Christ mm. by their actions, by mm. their teaching, mm. so... Yeah. Don't I, I don't get the impression as I read, say, Jude or Paul in the Corinthian letters, like you don't get the impression that the people receiving the letter have to guess at who he's talking about. So they might not be named, yeah. but it's pretty patently obvious yeah. from the way they're being described. Uh, and perhaps there's what we what we do today as well is talk about the kinds of teaching that you know very clearly will delineate certain groups, certain places that that teaching is coming from. Uh, I think as well in talking about false teachers, I don't know if this will come up in another question, but um, I've always found it helpful to hear about uh, how they teach bankers back in the day when people dealt with actual real paper money. Remember those times before PayPal and all of that? I'm not old enough. (laughs) But to, to identify counterfeit money, they don't show you all the different types of counterfeits. They train them to just feel the real money so frequently that when they do hold a counterfeit, they'll be able to tell it. I didn't know that. So, yeah, there that, you go. There's an example that I've heard of how we should therefore think about the gospel. We, we just need to know the gospel so well that we'll pick up the fakes when it comes because we'll never be able to find all the different false variations. People come up with new things, but if we so know the true gospel, yeah, then we'll pick the fakes when they arise. I like that. Next question. Uh, so someone heard you. I have to say I didn't hear this sermon from you Raj in the first week I was in other congregations that day and they heard you conclude at the end that there's no threat of false teaching at St Paul's Um, is that right yeah look I can't quite remember how I put it I I think um, seeing it in black and white like that I hope I didn't quite put it that strongly there is always a threat to false teaching. Mm. This is why Jude is written. It's mm. all through the Bible. So mm. there's there's always a threat to false teaching. St. Paul's is no exception. Mm. You know, this is one of the reasons where our pattern is our pattern is we want people to be in the Bible. We want to encourage people to take notes. We provide sermon outlines mm. to enable that to happen. Um, we do want people to engage and ask questions, which is why we have extras podcasts and sometimes Q&As in church and so on. The, there is always a threat. Um, we need to be on our guard. Mm. Now, I think what I may have just said, look, you know, the, the false teaching that is creeping into the Anglican communion around the world, that is not mm. creeping into St. Paul's. Yes, okay. You know, it's one of the reasons I went to Gathorn to expose myself to these things and um, and we are in an environment where we are particularly attuned to that brand of false teaching that is so disrupting things mm. around the world. By the way, not just in Anglican circles, but in every denomination, mm, mm. you could, and lots of people yeah. talk to me about that. Yeah. So I think that's that's what I was trying to say, and I apologise if I, you know, embellished a bit too much. Um, um, that is not creeping in, but we should still be on guard and ask ourselves, well, where are we susceptible? I love yeah. asking that question. Yeah. Have you got any thoughts on that? Someone has asked, what are some of the threats? There might be there for our congregation. Members. Look, I think my head, I'll ask you this question in a moment as our maturity, Pastor Lachlan. My head goes in our circles um, more to the experience category and in particular the prosperity gospel. And mm. and I think the prosperity gospel, Carlingford, North Rocks, we live in a, exist in a very wealthy part of the world. Mm. 
uh, we can be blind to what's happening. And I think, you know, at, at the very least, the risk is buying into the gospel that says we will be healthy, wealthy, and wise in this world. Yeah. And that is not true. Yeah. Um, if, if it is the case, and it is the case for many of us, mm. it, it's a great blessing. But I think we need to go from there to thinking how is it we can bless the gospel around the world and give mm. and and echo the generosity that Christ has shown us. Mm. So I think there's a big one. I think the gospel of experience and lifestyle and you know prosperity by personal empowerment and by living, you know, pursuing the dream holiday or whatever it is. Um, um, now it's a fine line here, right? I want people to have yeah, holidays. Yeah. Yep. I want people to enjoy God's creation. But when we live for God's creation in this world and forget about the world to come, I think that's a I think that's something we need to just mm. pause and think on. Mm. Yeah, what would you say? Look, on this question I didn't think of particular content of teaching, but I just thought the context that we're in nowadays, we have teaching at St Paul's but with our access on the internet, we get, you can get teaching, I'm sure, many in our congregation. I, I certainly am listening to others on the internet. Uh, and there's just so much out there. And those that are perhaps the most popular preachers that get pushed to us on YouTube, things like that, I would say there are some there who are teaching falsehood in various ways, uh, sometimes prosperity gospel, sometimes other things. We also have Christian bookshops down the road that their shelves have false teaching on them. Uh, it's not it's not all good stuff there. And so there's exposure that we have to be on our guard against. It was not too long back that um, there was a particular translation of the Bible being printed and promoted and pushed very strongly. Uh, the Passion Translation, I, I can name that one. Um, that's littered with false teaching and it's being pushed so hard. Now, I don't know if any in our circles went in for that, uh, but... Certainly, I know in other circles, I had someone turn up in a growth group and start reading from Passion Translation, and I had to have a word there. And they hadn't yet gone down the path, but they're exposing themselves to yep. something that would lead them into all sorts of falsehood. So just that exposure, because of the context that we're in in an internet age, uh, yeah, there's lots there that we have to you know, be talking about in your growth group setting with your friends, what you're listening to, who you're listening to, and just see if there are any influences there that might be that you might need to cut out yeah and watch out for that's where my head went on this question yeah look that, that's really helpful Lachlan. i just wonder if this might be helpful I, I mentioned before how things have changed from the right wrong framework that is you do what's right you you don't do what's wrong although that's your aim mm. now the aim is you do what brings you pleasure or what avoids you pain mm. and you weigh that up against the bible and you see how pursuing pleasure so often is about pursuing sinful things that bring pleasure and avoiding pain. I just, number numbers of churches out there just will not talk, teach on 2 Peter, for example, mm. or, or 1 Peter, passages in the Bible that just talk about the reality of suffering yeah. in this world. Yep. Um, but 2 Timothy, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Mm. Mm. Um, so, so maybe there's just something there the pleasure pain framework and ask yourself that question you know if, if the evil one was to try to you know knock you off or take you down where is it in that realm that he might in particular try to attack mm. let's keep moving along Raj to make sure we get through all these questions uh, how do we become stronger Christians that better contend for the faith uh, thank you so this question I think came out of week one and I, I got into it more in week two because verse 20 and 21 of Jude, I think, really honing on this. Um, you know, so verse 20, But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you eternal life. So, so I, I take it that is Jude filling out what it means to contend for the faith. That is how you become a stronger Christian. Sure. And um, interestingly, and depending on which congregation you're at, I I made a little or not much of the word yourselves, but actually mm. it's a second person plural. Um, and that is, there is a corporate dimension to this. We help each other in this. Um, or a one anotherness, as some of you might think of it in that category. It's also individual. And 
I put up a diagram in week two. The, that is the main imperative in verses 20 and 21 is verse 21, keep yourselves, keep yourselves in God's love. And then there's three particular things Jude has in mind. So firstly, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith. Secondly, praying in the Holy Spirit. And thirdly, waiting um, for the return of Jesus. So specifically, they're the things Jude talks about. Um, and I think those things just littered through the Bible. Mm. You know, keep your eye back on the cross. Um, the, our most holy faith comes about because of Jesus' death and his resurrection and ascension. Uh, prayer is something I, I shared on Sunday. I, looking at these verses, I think I need to pray more. Mm. Um, praying, that we're going to come to a question in a moment about praying in the Holy Spirit, so I'll save it for them. And then I talked about the power of waiting. Mm. And I, I use different illustrations in different congregations, but let me rehearse the one I used on Sunday night. That was the most fun. Um, and you missed this, Lachlan. I talked about um, many people can relate to this, and I apologise if you're still heartbroken or I'm still heartbroken. Um, I missed out on Tay-Tay mm. tickets. <laughs> um, but for those of Didn't you... Didn't know you're a fan. Well, look, I you know, had to... I was deserted by my <laughs> running partner a little while ago and I had to find a new one. And so Taylor is it. Um, um, let's not push that too far. <laughs> but those who have got Tay-Tay tickets... Firstly, well done. Secondly, if you have a spare one, please contact me. Um, but but if you're wait like if you're longing for something, there's things you do. Mm. It has a very tangible mm. impact. Mm. And I just mm. made some things up, but I could tell by the reaction I wasn't too far off. Um, you know, people listen to playlists. People might memorize lyrics, although mm. I didn't get into the intricacies of memorizing lyrics for. Tay Tay songs, anyway. Um, um, you know, I, I read in the papers people are planning on what to wear, and, and yeah, right. the list goes on. Yeah, apparently. Okay. Um, now, look, all of that's a bit of fun. Waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. That has very tangible implications in this world. Mm. Um, it's not just a future kind of you know possibility. It it's an active thing. Mm. It reflects itself very tangibly. So, so they're the things Jude talks about, about how we become stronger Christians. Although the agenda for Jude is not even, it's just hanging in there. Mm. Ephesians puts it in the same way, Ephesians 6, that the, the beautiful image of spiritual warfare. And there's all kinds of things you do. And I just find it, I'm intrigued with how it defines success. Success in Ephesians 6, the, the spiritual warfare mm. passage from 10 to 24. It's defined in terms of just still standing, mm, mm. survival. Mm. So maybe that's more of a mindset, which is really, it's a shift for us. It's a, mm. it's a mindset. We are in a live battle. Mm. Um, the evil one would do anything, send false teachers, mm. uh, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Yeah, it's helpful. One other thing that came to mind for me on this question, just... You know, we're dealing with Jude, and as I said, some people hadn't read it yet. I think to contend for the faith, know the scriptures, and if there's bits you haven't read, then actually getting the yeah. content of the faith, uh, and the Bible's the place that that is all drawn from. But you may like to pick up a book that helps to summarize that as well, and start reading some theology to help you get a grip on that true faith that we have entrusted to us that we then contend for. Um, so making sure that you, you have a good grip on the truth, the faith that you're contending for. A bunch of good books. Uh, Peter Jensen's just released another one recently that's kind of a basic introduction to doctrine. That could be a good one too. I think it's called The Life of Faith. Um, so there's a recent one that would be a good summary of the faith that we are entrusted with and contending for. But that comes after you've read the Bible. Bible first, then turn to others to help. Uh Look, Raj, I'm just looking at the time and I want to say to our listeners, if you want to have a pause and come back to the second half of this later, we've still got a bunch to discuss, but now is probably an appropriate time in the podcast to hit pause, have a break, uh, grab a cup of tea and come back and join us for the second half. Or if you just want to keep listening, then we'll keep pressing on and move on into, you've already taken us, Raj, into where we got in the second week. Um, let me just read out in a bit more Fullness. I'll read Jude 17 to 21. So before you do, there was another question here, Lachlan, about what do Christians in the UK need prayer for? I was going to do that at the end. Can we? Okay, sure. Let's right. save that one for right yeah, at the end, sure. I reckon. 
So Jude 17 to 21. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times, there'll be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in the most holy faith, in praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Now, we've just been talking a bit about this. Did you want to say anything more about building yourself or yourselves up? You clarified already that that's plural. Yeah. Uh, look, I think what you said, Lachlan, was excellent as well. Um, um, look, just exegetically here, it talks about building yourself up in the most holy faith. That is in contrast to what the false teachers um, have been leading people mm. toward. Mm. Uh, and it's really just trying to highlight the uniqueness, the specialness of the holy faith, the pure faith, the mm. one that's set apart. Mm. Uh, that is very much grounded in Jesus. I think it's a lifelong exercise to keep growing. That shouldn't turn us off. We should. I love what you said. You know, start with the Bible, supplement that with other things. Just worth acknowledging. Some people, you know, are not readers. That's true. Um, I think we're blessed these days. There are a whole bunch of really helpful podcasts mm. out there. You also said earlier. You know, the accessibility of stuff means you mm. have to be a bit discerning. Mm. So, so I just think whatever it is that works for you um, in this area, grab a resource. There's a whole bunch of things out there. Yeah. Um, Any podcast recommendations? I, I've got one if you don't. but uh, Look, I think for me it all just depends on what where someone's up to yeah, sure. is, is part of a complication. Mm. or Sorry, not complication, that's the wrong word, but, but opportunity really. Mm. What, what were you thinking of? Uh, one I've found helpful is Knowing Faith from the Village Church over in the US. So it's got a good trio of presenters, um, including Jen Wilkin, who's written a bunch of books. Some of our uh, congregation members will probably be familiar with her, but she's alongside Carl Worley and JT English. Um, and it's I find that one helpful because on some points they disagree and you get a bit of that discussion. But they've done a series on the Apostles' Creed, one of those basic statements of the faith. So that was a good series to just get a grounding in kind of the basic truths of Christianity. Um, I find them easy to listen to. I should say my wife finds them a bit too American, so, you know, taste preferences between us. Maybe we should get you and Candy talking about the podcast <laughs> and just having a bit of disagreement. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there's one I found helpful. Yeah. Um, praying in the Holy Spirit. What is it? Yeah, well, so what is it? So firstly, just worth saying here in Jude, um, um, that phrase there, praying in the Holy Spirit, it's in contrast to verse 19, which is talking about false teachers who uh, I think I just I mentioned on Sunday, the literal is something like um, talking about false teachers, they're worldly people and devoid of the Spirit. And so here that's a contrast. Be uh, people growing in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Mm. Um, and And... And I think what that means is, you know, bearing in mind that the opposite for those of the void of the spirit, engaging the life of immorality, uh, both teaching and modelling. So here it is, praying in the Holy Spirit. Um, pray for the things God loves. Mm. Pray for the things that God, you know, wants us to grow yeah. in. Yeah. Pray for God's agenda in our world. Um, now, this, this, I think this is really helpful for us. I keep talking to people. They say, be it in growth group or somewhere else, they pray for very tangible and practical things, um, you know, like the ailment on their body. Um, and I think here, here is an opportunity for us to lift our prayers mm. and, mm. and think about some of the bigger things which we know God loves mm. in this world mm. or God loves for this world. Mm. Um, praying for people to come to know Christ, uh, praying that people we know and love won't be impacted by false teaching, praying for people we know who are struggling with things and there might be a risk of them being lured away. So praying in the Holy Spirit, you know, that there was a time when people would talk about that was a very particular thing. Um, some people still talk about that. I don't think it's that at all. I think it's really just... Praying for the things God loves, it being informed by His Holy mm. Spirit in your heart as to what those things are. Yeah. Nice. All right. Uh, we've got 
kind of to bring us towards the end here, a bit of a block of questions, because as we were dealing with Jude, and you mentioned it back at the start, we're talking about sexual morality and sexual immorality. Um, do, do you want to give us at this point just a quick sketch? What What is God's vision for human sex? What are we talking about when we're talking about sexual morality? Thanks, Lachlan. Look, I think this is a huge topic, but in very simple terms, God's vision for sex and morality in this world, I mean, to a starting point, God created sex. Mm. You know, it's a, he created it um, with good ends in mind. Uh, and those ends are for husband and wife, so in marriage, to um, share in a union, um, one outcome of which is procreation, children, but also for pleasure. Mm. And and we Song of Songs is a classic place, I think we see that in the Bible. Um, if you're a husband and wife and, you know, here is an area you want to refocus on, if I can put it like that, read Song of Songs together. Might, might be, you know, a good thing to do. That's God's vision for sex. And so immorality is really anything operating outside mm. that. Mm. Um, and, and my conversations in this area with people, we are in a just a, a society, a highly sexualized society, um, where gender identity is really, it's you know that's the agenda at the moment. But I think we need to remember cohabitation now. It's it's skyrocketed. Mm. Put aside LGBTQI, that, that's also relevant by mm. the way. But mm. but cohabitation that is men and women living together outside of sex with a view perhaps to being married or de facto or whatever it is, um, the Bible has as much to say to people in that scenario as it does to anyone mm. else. Mm. So anyway, there is God's image, you know, heterosexual, male, female, sex to be enjoyed inside of marriage, um, a couple of different ends, pleasure, absolutely. We see that in the Bible, also children. Um, and then I just think of a marriage service. The, the Anglican marriage service, which just expresses it beautifully. Mm. It, God created it this way for the good order of society, which mm. is to the glory of God. Mm. So there's a flow on then for children and how they're raised mm. and nurtured mm. and so mm. on. It's um, a helpful starting point because, you know, often we're dealing with the negative sexual immorality and that can be hard to define, but I think the defining point has to be what what is the good, the moral, and immorality is that which is outside of that. Yeah. So it's a broad category there how can we love those who are struggling with a sexual identity that doesn't fit within what god would say is good and moral how can we love them without sounding like we're condemning them with god's word i'm really thankful for this question and and um i i think i just want to start by saying i think we need to open up this very discussion in our circles and in our church Mm. Um, I tried to do this on Sunday. Uh, I didn't preach North Rocks Jude the last two weeks. I couldn't be in two places at once. But we are coming. I'm going to come back to North Rocks on this topic and Jude um, at some point hmm. later this term, I think. Uh, but so on Sunday, I think in four congregations, people would have heard me trying to just open up this discussion and trying to quite quite consciously get people thinking about what this looks like but understanding the complexities of it. Our default is to is to think everyone um, is coming from the same place we are but they're not. Mm. There's just a whole range of diversity out there. There's mm. confused people out there. There's people who don't know what they think. We come up against conversations. I've heard of stories of dinner parties and people remain silent and mm. lots and lots of different things. Mm. Um, I think it's really important that people, no matter who they are and no matter what the issue is, um, know that Christians love them mm. and know that they are welcome to come to church mm. and hear what God is saying. Um, so I really tried on Sunday to articulate that. I hope that I was able to, but I also think we need to have this discussion more broadly. Mm. and not just on a one-off sort of basis. Mm. Um, and it, I hope if you're listening, you, you've heard the way I put it again. I, I don't want to focus on, you know, any issue as a, as a single issue. I think this covers a whole range of things. 
what about the person who struggles deeply with alcohol mm. or is drug addict? Mm. How do they feel coming into our mix? Mm. And I think if you maybe one way to think about it is how would you act toward speak with mm. someone in that situation, mm. and then when you're coming up to you know this particular question about sexual identity, I think the answer's the same. That is. How is it you would speak and act towards someone who might be struggling in any other area? Mm, mm. Um, and what do you do? Do the same thing when you... Mm. Yeah. Would you like to add to that? The, the thing that comes to mind in addition to what you've said there is just that no matter how loving we seek to be, my experience and what I've heard from others is that we won't always come across as loving. I, d I don't think there is a way for that to happen, uh, no matter how diplomatic yep. we are in what we say, no matter how gentle, persuasive uh, people. Yeah, we, we, can't, we can't always achieve the outcome that we want to have in this area, I don't think. I don't think. And that's a sadness. Yep. Um, but what we can control is our intention. So we can't necessarily control the reaction, but we can control our intention. And I think you're right. And I've been in churches in the past where I would know and had to help some people through this, that if someone, you know, I, I kind of imagined the scenario in this church setting of someone walking through the door that was openly in a homosexual relationship, not claiming to be a Christian, they were just there to explore uh, how would they be welcomed. Uh, and as I imagined that, I knew that the, church had some stuff to work on because uh, they would be visibly disgusted. That's, we got we got to not do that, you know. There's an example to not do. Yeah. Uh, so there's a couple of the boundaries within which we talk here. Really helpful. Yeah. That, that they're the boundaries, right? Mm. Um, treat everyone no matter what the issue might be, in the same way with love and respect mm. and think about what it, what it looks like for them to feel cared for and welcomed, but realise at the same time, just like in Jude, there needs to be some ground that is held if we are to bring glory and honour to God. Mm. Um, yeah, they're, they're the two boundaries. I think there's a huge realm within those mm. that we can do a lot better mm. than, than mm. we are. Yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah, let's, let's get to the next question. We've got more that we could talk about there, I'm sure. Um, any helpful resources that you can recommend for preparing ourselves to have loving, apologetic conversations regarding the topic of transgender identity? Yeah, thank you. I, I, the one that comes to mind at the moment, just because I have been invited to the book launch, which is happening later this week, is Patricia Weracoon's book, The Gender Revolution, uh, which is available now at Matthias Media. It's only just been released. Um, so This is so current. As I said, the book launches this week that some places don't yet have stock, but, but I'm sure that's about to change. Um, now, I have not read this book, I just want to quickly say, but I do know Patricia very well, and I believe she has come to St Paul's and done different things, and mm. she's written other books. Um, and she is a medical doctor. She... I think she has been a sex therapist, if I'm right, um, and she's also a deeply committed Christian mm. that goes to a Sydney Anglican church. Mm. Um, and she just has a way of putting things that seem to break down barriers. Um, so I am very much looking forward to this book, uh, and and you know I, I might even see if we can get some in and make them available for, for people. But look, anyone can hop on Matthias Media or or other bookshops. We'll have them before yep. too long. Yeah, sure. that's what comes to my mind. There is a, a website as well uh, called Living Faith. It's kind of connected to the Sydney Anglican Diocese, uh, a, a group who are looking to help us love people well and speak well in this space. So if you look for livingfaith.online, a whole bunch of videos there, short answers to things, some longer answers, book list at the bottom there. Um, that could be a good place to yeah, check out as well. Job. Rob Smith has done some stuff on there. Um, he's done some really helpful thinking in this space and he's got a recent book as well on the question. So if you, again, not a reader and want to watch some things instead, 
uh, livingfaith.online could be a place to go. Uh, any tips for teaching our kids about how to deal with this when they rock up at school and they're confronted with all the differing views? They're, they're kind of really at the forefront, I think, of the change that's happening in society. Yeah. That's been my experience, that schools are a place where uh, differing views are being put forward and the next generation is embracing a different world. Yeah, what a good question. And and here is a question I um, I think I just want to say I don't, you know, I, I think we need to talk about this mm. and parents need to talk with each other about this. Um, my own children, I think, went through school at a time when this was just kind of coming in and they went through all kinds of things. Um, my basic approach with them was just to encourage them in their views. They each have delighted to the Lord that they're each firm believers. Um, and so we just tried to encourage them that their views in the Bible are quite legitimate views to have. Um, we felt it was far too difficult and complex to try to help them navigate you know, the evangelistic opportunity through that. Our priority mm. was that they remain firm themselves. Mm. Um, and what that meant was just coming away with an authority of God's word. Mm. Um, so difficult, and I think it's got even more difficult. Um, yeah, so I, I don't want to pretend on this one, Lachlan, to have answers. Yeah. I think I my heart goes out. I remember the struggles that Nicole and I had with various situations. Mm. Our kids are growing up. Um yeah, um, others like you are going to, you know, come into this environment no matter mm. where your kids are. Mm. Uh, I Maybe another thing to say is please do everything you can to make sure that your children have strong Christian influences around them mm. through youth group. And um, Sam Chan, when he came around in the year, he talked about plausibility structures, mm. technical terms. Mm. What that means is just understanding something is legitimate mm. and existing in an active community. Uh, is just the primary way that happens. Yeah. So yeah. think about your kids and make a priority mm. to, to get them involved in our context, night, salt, and other things, kids holiday club, whatever it is, that all of that's going to help their plausibility structures mm. uh, so that when the time comes in the world, when they're challenged, yeah. Mm. It might be worth saying, Patricia, who you mentioned before, uh, she has written some stuff for kids and she teenagers actually, on yeah. this. So there's resources there that can be helpful for parents speaking to their kids. I think particularly around sexuality, I, I haven't seen her stuff on gender. That might be more recent, uh, but I'm sure she'll have some helpfulness there as well. Yeah. That brings us to our second to last question because we will come back to praying for the our brothers and sisters in the UK. Um, but this question touches on how we as Christians in this area of, morality but it kind of broadens out to other areas as well how should we think about the law in secular society we know what god's will is for our morality is that something we should want to see lived out in all of society irrespective of whether people acknowledge god or not should we want to live in a society that criminalizes immoral behavior uh, i know in some of the news i was seeing around gafcon there's a particular uh, African nation that was going down a path of criminalizing homosexuality that kind of was brought up in the news alongside everything else that was happening there. So how do we think about secular laws and secular yeah. society alongside God's morality? Yeah. Just a small question, right? Yeah, just a small <laughs> question. <laughs> Maybe a stretch night long. Um, so look, the particular country you refer to is Uganda, uh, which... Um, is very much in the category of criminalising immoral behaviour. I, I, I think it's just important. I, I met lots of people from Africa. It's just such a different context. Mm. And I'm not talking about standard living. I'm just like, you know, their morality is just in such a different place. Mm. And so they're in countries where the governments and so on are just trying to work out what that looks like. Um, so I, I don't want to engage in that particular question, yeah. which is not so helpful for us anyway. I, I think for us, you know, I I do want to encourage people all around me that um, um, the family unit of male-female children 
is a building block of our society mm. and has been for thousands of years. And that's a good thing. I do want to encourage that children growing up in the loving care of father and mother is a good thing. Mm. Now, I totally know we live in a sinful world. And I know that there are people listening to this podcast who have gone through the pain where that has not worked out for whatever reason. Mm. And let me just say, I, I'm really sorry that's the case. There's lots of people in our church in those situations. I've talked to lots of people in those situations. Um, um, I know people have gone through pain. So I'm not saying that the family block is the only way to live. Mm. But I am saying that God has put that there as a building block of our society, which is a good thing. Mm. So now I know that God has done that because the Bible tells me, because other people don't necessarily you know, subscribe to the authority of the Bible does not change that, that reality. Um, so I think I can still look for the... What I'm just doing here is looking for the ways that I can engage in this discussion. Um, and and even to someone who doesn't have the same moral basis as we might, that is the authority of God's word, I think we still have things we can say. Mm. Yeah. Now, I might not want to make that the thing I lead off with because ultimately I want to push people, help people understand Jesus died for them. Mm. Um, but I do wonder if we've gone too far the other way. Mm. Yeah. You know, there's just... A nice small question you said. There's some thoughts just to put out there. Yeah. Thanks, Ralph. Would you like to add to that? Look, a passage that comes to mind in relation to this question, but also in relation to everything else we've discussed, I think of 1 Corinthians 5 and what Paul's dealing with there. Um, you know, you've got amongst the Corinthians a church where immorality has come to be boasted in. Uh, and Paul is clarifying what they should do. And he says at the end of 1 Corinthians 5, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or swindler. Don't even eat with such people. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside, expel the wicked person from among you. I find that helpful passage at distinguishing the groups of people that we're talking about. And in Jude's case, he's talking about those who have come into the church, who are claiming to be brothers and sisters, but are yep. living immorally. Yep. You know, there's a particular way that that needs to be dealt with. They yep. need to be expelled and cast out. Yep. But there's a different way to think about and talk about and treat those who are coming in who are not claiming to be Christian at all. They might be looking into it. They might be inquiring about it. You know, these are the people that we're doing life alongside in the world. We can't leave the world. Uh, and so just distinguishing our response in both cases, I think, is a helpful thing to do. That's very helpful. Okay, we need to watch for what's happening inside the church and under the name of Christ, a particular way that we are to live. Out in the world, all sorts of things will happen. Uh, and it'll change across time. Um, and we can't control all of that. If we could control it, we you know we can talk about what we might like to do there, but we can't. Uh, but we can kind of be this shining beacon of light of what God's pattern of life looks like. And I think that that will be a persuasive, good vision. If we're living this out well in the church, people will be attracted to that. So they go, oh, here's something that actually works. Here's something that I want to live out. And so it becomes a helpful, our, our way of life becomes a helpful apologetic alongside the gospel as people come into that community. And if you haven't read Rosaria Butterfield's story of conversion, I think there's an example of this, where she comes from her life of a you know, prominent lesbian activist that comes into the Christian community and sees something that moves her and touches her uh, as she's welcomed in. So she's written a few different books along the time. I think that one's Good Girl, Good God, Bad it's got the words good, bad, girl, and God in there. You find the right order. I can't remember what order it's in. Um, but there, there would be an example of that kind of thing with yeah. that. So. Great. In light of all this, Raj, 
brothers and sisters in the UK, but not just the UK, around the world that you've rubbed shoulders with, what, what should we be praying for? Yeah, I think the it's so hard to answer that question simply because different parts of the Anglican communion in different parts of the world is in a different place. Mm. We talked about some African, you know, mm. thing. I was inspired by them. Like I'm, they just want to get on and tell people about Jesus and see people saved. Mm. For them, a lot of these issues are a distraction. But understand it in a context where their country's in a different place yeah. and issues of morality. Yeah. Um, in the US, a great encourage. I shared a few stories, you know, and there's other ones I could have shared. They're largely 15 years on mm. from a lot of these issues. Mm. And they're now just seeing, you know, they, they're on the other side. They can get on. They've had a process of refining. Um, and God has used that for his good. And they now are getting on with people, seeing people come to Christ. The UK is in a different place. Mm. Uh, and at the moment, so earlier this year, the House of Bishops, different kind of structure, but House of Bishops decided they were going to authorise same-sex blessings. Um, and as I said, and we see this in Jude, the, the agenda, you know, is to divide. And most of the time, the agenda is then not just to divide, but to expel. So our faithful brothers and sisters who want to cling to the authority of the Bible in the UK right at this very moment, they're trying to work out how to respond and what that means. Um, and and look, they need our prayers to work out what mm. that looks like. Mm. Um, I think it's too much in this short podcast to go through the technicalities of all of that. I'm happy if people want to talk with me about that. Um, um, I know more than just this short time, but... I don't know all of the details. It's mm. so complex. Mm. So, I, but I just think I would say they they just need our help and and prayers. I know mm. different Sydney Anglicans, including our Archbishop, are involved in that discussion. Um, but what it looks like, it's hard to know. Worth saying in Australia, we're in a different place as well. Mm. Um, every every country is just a bit different, yeah. and and for us, what's happening in Australia. Um, yes, the Diocese of the Southern Cross has been set up. I was very happy to express my support for that venture mm. and was at GAFCON Canberra last year where it was formed. Um, Glenn Davies, former Archbishop of Sydney, is, is the Bishop of the Diocese of the Southern Cross. It is designed to uh, help give people a platform and help snatch people from the fire that they're under. It's not, not there for... Churches like St Paul's and part of the Diocese of Sydney, where we, you know, have clear leadership, we are standing firm in the gospel and the authority of the Bible. Um, but we even have people visiting church on the weekend from a different part of Australia. These are real mm. issues for them mm. at the moment, where they have episcopal oversight in our Anglican system, uh, where where liberalism is really creeping mm. in, um, and so they're trying to work out how to respond. But but. Across Australia, that's not the majority situation. The majority situation is those who love God's word and see that as the ultimate authority. Um, relatively speaking, we're growing and the other ones are shrinking. Mm, mm. Which makes a lot of sense because we have a gospel to give mm. and other people don't. Yeah. Um, but that means the Australians and is quite different. Yeah. Raj, thanks for your time. That's been a, a long episode. Uh, if you didn't take your tea break earlier, maybe you're regretting that now. But uh, I hope you've enjoyed listening along and benefited from that as we've explored a bit of the scriptures uh, on you know, false teaching and immorality, uh, much more to talk about in all of these different spaces. Uh, and we're happy to continue that conversation as we go on. And we'll keep having that conversation as we open up the Bible and work through it bit by bit. God's word is good and it teaches us how to live in this world. So we look forward to being on that journey with you. Uh, normally we talk about what's coming up next week, but this is a special holiday special, so we don't, we don't have that to end on it. Well, we could talk about Matthew's gospel. We're coming back in Matthew 19 to, you know, I think 25 or thereabouts. Worth just saying, we did put this in church news. We are trying something different at just term three where... Um, it has been our pattern in recent years. All congregations are on the same passage um, across our English-speaking congregations. We're just trying something different more to, to, to manage the stretched staff at the moment. Mm. Um, and so um, 
Norcross and Morning Church, sorry, Norcross and Night Church are on the same pattern, uh, and then the other three congregations kind of have a, have it the following week. So Matthew 19 is where we're kicking off, um, um, and we'll go through, we'll break that with a, a series on Christian living. But uh, maybe on your special episode, Lachlan, it would be okay for me just to lead us in prayer. That sounds great. For some of these yeah. issues and our brothers and sisters around the world. Wonderful. Let's end with that. Thanks, Ralph. Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to know your word and to learn from Jude. We see um, the impact Paul's teachers are having and the deep concern Jude has to help people contend for the faith. Um, and the centerpiece of that is keeping ourselves in your love. And also in the doxology, we see trusting in you uh, who is able to keep us from falling and to present us before your glorious presence without falling with great joy. We really feel for those, our brothers and sisters around the world who are doing it tough. We pray that you'll give them wisdom, particularly our brothers and sisters in the UK at this time. Um, and we pray that you'll give them the wisdom of Solomon to know the path for the future that brings glory and honour to you that does justice to the entrusting of all kinds of resources over the years for gospel proclamation, um, but also mixes that in with the reality of what is going to be effective moving forward to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, we pray for those involved in that discussion. We pray in our own country that you will help us be supporting those seeing people snatched from the fire. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.